Hello and welcome to the Statsman Podcast with me, James York, and... Ted Knudsen. How is your life, Ted? Busy? Yeah, same. <laughs> That's it? But it's okay, because uh, International Week does uh, free things up a little bit. It's kind of nice. So as someone who works inside of football, like this break is a really good one. Often because you've been full speed since uh, since preseason started. If you're in football, uh, our timing is slightly different. But like we added so many competitions this summer that it was good to be able to have a little bit of breathing space um, as we continue to scale up. Uh, we're just <laughs> we're just so big compared to where we used to be, and I can just see us doubling again next year. So yeah, it's true. Anyway. It's true. Data, data collection is a thing that you know you actually quite like the the weeks where it's international breaks or whatever because they're just slightly less games to collect, so you can cast your eye around and you know reprioritize and things. So you know, all good. So we are reader powered or listener powered today. Yeah, uh, we're going to answer some of your questions and some of the ones that we thought might be interesting to discuss. Uh, where should we start, James? Uh, well, do you want to start with the movie stuff or not? <laughs> you sound so excited. <laughs> well, you just told me just before we started that you've actually watched all but the last 10 minutes of John Wick 3. I have, and I, I have some notes. <laughs> Would you like to commence, Ted? Well, how, how did you find John Wick 3? Well, he starts on the run with a dog. <laughs> and, and we're going to talk about spoilers here. So, you know, if you were really concerned about the detailed plot points inside of John Wick 3, you may want to skip forward to, uh, to not John Wick. Yeah, I get the but, I get the feeling it might not matter. As in, it, I don't think it mattered that I hadn't seen John Wick two. So th- this was the thing. Like we we were kind of talking around about some goofiness, and this came up, and I was like, you know, let's just start with number three. And 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 as we had chosen to do this, uh, someone else was like, that's the worst movie that you could start with outside of like you know the Matrix or something like that. Or I mean, even Return of the Jedi, I think doesn't isn't like the third movie that is you know hugely uncontained like it is literally like in the middle of a thing and uh, you won't understand anything like you know i'm willing to test that theory so uh, did did you come out feeling like you lost a lot by not seeing the second movie no about 20 minutes in i decided to read the wikipedia page for john wick 2 and i felt that gave me everything that watching john wick 2 would have done in in and of itself so that was minus the awesome fight scenes yeah, I think it depends. Where... And the sometimes terrible fight scenes, depending on which way. It depends whether you give a shit about fight scenes. I think my 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 major concern about any film is like when I read a, like a comment or a review or something, and it uses the word kinetic. This is you know a kinetic film. I'm immediately up my my hackles are up, and I'm thinking like right, okay, that's not gonna necessarily be my cup of tea. But I feel like your hackles kind of like are <laughs> a permanent semi erection. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I'm a man of uh, specific standards, I guess, is one way of putting it. <laughs> Look, basically, John Wick, so, John Wick, John Wick, launch, I can launch into this. This is easy. Yeah, see, there you go. John Wick, it's like wacky races. Or like, there used to be a game, uh, used to be a game, uh, we used to play in the playground called British Bulldog. I mean, it's probably got other names in different playgrounds across the world. But basically, you had to get from one end of the playground to the other without getting tagged. That's basically John Wick 3, from start yeah, to finish. Yeah, okay. That's basically, but he gets tagged a lot. <laughs> That's basically what it is. And it's just bizarre. There's like all these kind of like moments along the way where it's like you've got a kind of like people are getting injured and killed just just relentlessly anyway. And then like people have just got to prove things like the doctor, the doctor who helps him is like, you know, you've got to injure me. Otherwise, I'll think I helped you. And Yeah. And, and then just kill you. Yeah. And then he's got and then he's got to like um, 
dismember himself to prove himself to the elder and it's like oh for fuck's sake honestly yeah man there goes that finger it's like I don't know. I felt John Wick One, which I did watch, had you know it. It had a little world that it lived in, which was like vaguely interesting, and you know the idea of the ideas behind it. And then John Wick Three is like kind of like built on that world and just done it badly, and it's just not good. And yeah, I had a lot of love for the first one, uh, and I have a lot of love for like some of the people that are in this. So I'm going to go through my notes because like I think that it was it was kind of it brings up interesting talking points. So it starts with John Wick on the run with a dog. And obviously, like, so, like, that's actually part of the, the ongoing theme of this movie is it's a dog movie. <laughs> it's, it's assassins, but really it's a dog movie. Uh, it, it is a bit like, you know, Turner and Hooch, or maybe even like all of those lovable <laughs> dog movies that happened, uh, that, that you would show to your children as young teenagers or, or preteens. Um, so, <clears throat> anyway, he's been excommunicated uh, with, with high-tech things like chalkboards uh, written on by tattooed set secretaries and computers that have only green monitors. Oh, that, that annoyed the hell out of me, all that, kind of, <laughs> all that stylistic kind of bollocks to be like, you know, like, I don't know, a bit kind of steampunk ideas around it. It's like, yeah, whatever, come on. <laughs> and I kind of like the, the little plot wrinkle where, like, he's not immediately excommunicated. It starts at a certain time. So they can build up a little bit of tension and they can create some... some some drama and a bit of fun as as you know you kind of settle into what you know is coming. It's the it's the part where you ramp up the roller coaster. There was a big knife fight towards the start that was quite entertaining just because it was you know who was involved with hmm? who who played the very tall. Wait, oh, hang on, we got to talk about the first fight. Oh yeah, I mean that was that was a little bit afterwards, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> Bovan Mojanovic turns up in the film. Yes, which I, I, I was aware of, and it was like, okay, that's cool. I don't mind him being in there, and uh, that's that's a little nod to like Jaws in the James Bond films and stuff like that. Exactly. And so there were a lot of nods in this. But where's the humour? Um, There's no feel that too. fucking humour in this film. It's just Poe face the whole way through. Yeah. Well, I think I think the humour was the fact that it is completely ridiculous. Like it, it's just kind of a an ongoing running action joke. I like Reeves. Without, without Arnold Schwarzenegger. I like Reeves. Reeves. Reeves is quite good in it. Just kind of like uh, plods along. But here, here you go. Here's, here's something. Right. Reeves, 55 years old. Ian McShane, 76. Mark, <laughs> Mark Dacascus, who plays Zero, 55. Lawrence Fishbourne, 58. Halle Berry, 53. Lance Reddick, who played the concierge, 56. Angelica Huston, 68. Jerome Flynn, 56. Uh, and then you've got Saeed <laughs> Tagmawi, who played the elder, who's 46. And then basically... You've got Asia Kate Dillon, who's 34, and um, she's not not a good actor. And then, literally, what? the youngest, Dude. literally okay. the youngest Hang person, Hang listen, on. literally the youngest person in the film is Bovan Marjanovic, who's 31. So essentially, <laughs> you're watching your ma and your pa, your da, beating up each other uh, for for two hours. It's like it's really weird. Like everyone in the film is my, like 50. My parents months. are like <laughs> 10 years, 12 years older than that. So yeah. It's it's a generation. Well, same, but like you know, essentially, it's, it's hang really on here. You you you've already stated some terrible opinions here, so we've got to correct some bits of this. Okay, first of all, Taylor for Billions is fucking awesome as Taylor for Billions. She's a bit less awesome as the adjudicator in this movie, or I'm sorry, they are a bit less awesome. Um, and if have you watched Billions? No. All right, so you need to fix that. No, I don't. Are you? You're not 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 on work time like this one, but uh, Billions is excellent. You've got Damian Lewis and and Giamatti like just chewing scenery through the whole thing, and it's actually pretty pretty well written. But also like the the best two sort of 
I think, or maybe three characters really, but the two of them are are they, Taylor, and then uh, Maggie Siff's character, who's uh, Giamatti's wife. Anyway, um, and Billions is good. Like it's a it's it's very very watchable. Uh, but the old thing I also noted, and not least because I'm watching Keanu and I'm like, I'm watching him outside of the the fights or inside of the fights, but watching him with somebody who has like a pretty good background in this type of stuff. And um, I'm like, man. He's old and really stiff and doesn't move that well right now. And so I had to go look it up. I'm like, wait, how old is he really? Yeah. It's like, son of a bitch. He's like 55. This is back in, in like when I was a kid. This is back when Clint Eastwood felt old. This, I mean, you know? it's really <laughs> odd that they've just got this like kind of group of old actors just all beating, beating hell out of each other. And they really do. But lots of them are great. Uh, so do you know Mark Dacascus, who who is almost a, a hidden individual from from my childhood but then like keeps popping up in funny places do you know what i most associate with him no or, I, didn't or know, him with? I didn't know him until this so go on so so there's a show called iron chef america right and mark dacascus plays the quote chairman unquote uh but it's a show that america stole from japan where it's like an awesome cooking show and they have some really great chefs come in and create these these meals or whatever and then they get judged at the end of it by celebrity judges and the chairman and i, I think it's hilarious that mark dacascus who has this you know lifetime of, of martial arts films or whatever like landed in that role and then he comes back kind of full circle uh, another thing about some of the 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 guys in this they they are action lifers i think there are a couple of tony joss slash raid guys that yeah, were in yeah. there that were like very respectful towards John Wick or whatever, and I was like, "Oh, I love this part!" It's like because I like the that guy moments in movies. Um, you probably only have that guy moments now because you don't know anybody you know current or relevant. So you're like, "Oh yeah, I remember that guy from this thing that I watched 20 years ago." I do actually did actually know most of these actors, so that's the end of that's, that's <laughs> something. But yeah, and I enjoyed I enjoyed Brown of the Blackwater, even if his character was fucking horrible. You enjoyed him, you know, John. You've lost me. Brown of the Blackwater. Who's that? <laughs> I don't know what you're on about now. <laughs> All right, I'll throw one back to you. How did you find Lovejoy? Yeah, I don't, I don't know who Lovejoy is. Yeah, see, Ian McShane, widely known as Lovejoy in this oh, country. Oh, I know Ian McShane. He's Lovejoy. Ian McShane, is, Ian McShane is everything that is awesome about Deadwood. What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, Lovejoy. Nah, Lovejoy. Lovejoy. Yeah, see, all the, all the English listeners are nodding along with me there. They're like, ah, I know what you mean. <laughs> Deadwood is an amazing program. I can't I can't understand why you haven't upgraded Dude your reference Dude is there. Lovejoy. That's just the way it is. <laughs> Anyway. So, so James very clearly does not know who Braun of the Blackwater oh, is. Right. You know, I'm going to leave Jerome this Flint, yeah. to the podcast listeners right. to inform him. <laughs> you, you, probably, you won't know about Robson Jerome then, will you? No. <laughs> See, these English actors got heritage, man. Yeah, Rob, Jerome. Jerome, Jerome Flynn used to be in, in, in a duet, in a singing duet with another one of his fellow actors. And, wow. and made terrible cover versions that sold hundreds of thousands of records. I feel like we're really off the beaten path here, James. <laughs> right, back to football, right. Come on. But, like, Lance, Lance Reddick is in this, and he's from The Wire. And Lawrence Fishburne is, is awesome, like, in almost everything forever. Uh, speaking of Lawrence Fishburne, uh, this was another... So, like, I, I'm still going through my notes here because I have a couple of things. Um, everyone's security in this movie is absolutely horrible, especially for assassins. Why? <laughs> Why? Why? Yeah. You, you you know what the security looks like. You have assassins that can test this. And you're like, no, no, we'll be fine. We have assassins that can protect us. Yeah, it's weird. It's just, 
I don't know. It it could have been a little better drawn, I think. Is one way, one way of putting. So that that early knife fight, you wanted to discuss it because I thought that was a fun moment. That there are like three other scenes that I thought were like just had little bits that I enjoyed. It was quite fun. Yeah, I haven't got much to say about it, but it's, it, and like the the weapons warehouse, skilled. right? Uh, weapons warehouse, vaguely. Where the he's throwing like you know hatchets and breaking glass oh, to yeah, get yeah, into yeah. cases. And... Yeah, yeah. Again, ludicrous, and you know, from the mind of a twelve-year-old, but you know, still vaguely entertaining <laughs> i i also like there was a, a specific scene that was the the underwater bit in the pool right with the the really high-tech soldiers that get sent in late and i kind of actually found myself a little bit in love with that scene because it, it was a, a fun physics moment in the midst, midst of like a terrible fight scene that had lots of silliness uh where like you know they're they're super powered and you know super armored or whatever but you know the guy's trying to shoot at him and and the bullets just kind of like come out and then turn to the side and you're like oh yeah that's that's fun i enjoyed that bit okay marks out of 10 said uh i'm gonna say five but i do want to make one reference the bit where they're loading up for the the sort of semi-final battle or whatever <clears throat> that felt like the matrix i was gonna say four out of ten i'm amazed with that close yeah, I'm 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 right in the same range. I I could definitely give it a four, depending on how grumpy I was. I haven't watched the end. If the last ten minutes goes terrible, it might have, might. Last spoil ten it minutes does go terrible. So yeah. Okay, so four it is. Last ten minutes. There I'll, 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 I'll not spoil it, but last ten minutes literally throws throws a curveball, and it's like, oh wow, this this is different. And then the curveball like straightens, and it's like, oh no, it isn't different. And it's like, oh for God's sake! You know, I thought that I thought they were flanking us with a with a, like, a, like a trick kind of thing, and it wasn't. There was no trick. There are no tricks. It's all just so as you, you see it. I, I think more importantly, are you going to watch John Wick? 4? Yeah, probably. Just because you know we'll get dragged back on here to do it, and you know, yes, with I, great I, joy and pleasure. <laughs> to, Great love joy, Come on. perhaps. Yeah, indeed. Right. 14 minutes, that is, of misery. So I, I think the only way that I'm going to watch John Wick, Wick 4 is if they promise me that they're upgrading from John Wick 3, which is Parabellum, and add some Cerebellum into it. Because, like, somebody needs to, like, straighten out the stupidity uh, stupidity in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Just, I don't know, tone tone down the kind of, just the po-facedness. There's no need for that. You know, if you're going to do all this ridiculousness make it a little bit fun too all right readers listeners it's time for you to save our podcast all right should <laughs> the premier league te- add teams or remove teams should the premier league relegate more or fewer teams uh from a statistical perspective insofar as quality is concerned are we good at a balance between 20 teams and three teams relegated now yeah i think that we are um although we do feel like at times there's a log jam at the bottom that feels like it's, it's potentially lessening and I'll kind, of, I'll kind of hit on that in a little bit later with the, one of the other questions i think but um I think yeah, we you wouldn't want to make it any bigger. Um, making no one's ever going to agree to more teams going coming up and down because you know that's just not going to happen. But no, um, yeah, I, th- I think I think it's in, it's not in a bad place actually quality wise, and it feels like it's gone up a little bit. Like it took a while to kind of like remove the the kind of old school managers that you know there was a time when there was like five or six of them in the league every season, and it felt like oh that's a little bit of a drain. And now slowly but surely it feels like you know we've, we're getting a um, you know, new managers uh, going in in places like a good example. I mean, not Premier League, but Huddersfield just employed Danny Cowley, and it's like, right, that's good. You know, that's that's like I a, thought that was a really good appointment. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's <clears> like a you know, kind of like a positive positive trend to actually like look you know down the leagues and and look for something new and something fresh. And you know, the more that that happens, be it with foreign managers or English man English based managers, then 
great. So, and I think the Premier League's developed on that. Yeah, I, I think it's it's just about right. And it, yeah, we had this argument at the beginning of last season where the big clubs did so well, so unexpectedly mm. and basically undeservedly well. Yeah, they're like, oh, the gap is bigger than it's ever been before. And now, like, the narrative is like, well, the gap between the top two in the rest of the league seems like it's bigger than it's ever been before, but everybody else is is perfectly catchable. Yeah, and that's a good point, because, like, you know, over the history of the Premier League, all of, you know, English football, there's plenty of times there's been a couple of teams that have been superior and dominated for periods of time, and you're absolutely right. That's a very good point about uh, how, you know, the top six looked dominant at the start of last season, but also... Uh, apart from the top two, were generally exceeding their metrics. Their metrics didn't peg them as as good as as they came out. And now we're seeing this season, um, in a little bit of a shakier start. I mean, don't get me wrong, we could get 15 games in the top six away and clear, but you, you don't feel it's you know the done deal that perhaps it, it might have perceived to be, um, say, you know a year ago or just under a year ago. All right. Right, so where is the progress coming in defensive metrics? <laughs> That's a good question, really, because um, obviously something we did was bring in uh, pressure events uh, to our data, and we're going to have pe- people going to talk about pressure. I know Michael Cayley's going to talk about it at our conference, uh, and I think a couple of other people are, um, in the research competition are going to look into it as well. And it's something that we, we kind of put into our data set, and we haven't really uh, explored it as far probably as we'd like to, um, you know, being incredibly busy doing a million and one other things. So that, you know, that's, that's going to be useful. And I know Tom... Tom Lawrence, uh, uh, you know, is going to, uh, who works for us, is, is going to be looking more at, um, more at metrics and things in the future. And so I think that's something that he can, he's keen to get involved in and, and, you know, get back back on that horse, so to, be, so to speak. It's a complicated answer because it's like really contextual. And, and the more context you bring in, the harder it gets to analyze in a clean way. Uh, you know, the things that we launched were pressures, pressure regains. We've got actions under pressure that we have an upgrade coming, I think, um, in the next couple of months. Uh, to that, that basically ties it more cleanly together to the the pressures that are occurring, but it's it's hard and and the contextual element is is a big deal. Um, <clears throat> you know, the re- regains part I, I quite like because yeah. it's not just a, an individual; it's also a team metric. And but like again, at that point, like how do you talk about it? Uh, it be the difference that we have versus like lots of other companies is like we want to give you things that we think are valuable and it's not just a metric that you can throw out there and be like, oh yeah this is right or this is your ranked list for you know xyz pdq um you know we we need to and the you know the reason why our customers like, engage with us more i think is, is because they want to understand how it impacts them on the pitch and how it's useful and how it isn't useful and and how it isn't useful is actually a really good conversation that everyone should be having about stuff um so you know if you've if you've put up defensive hulls as like colors uh, and and there's not much else going on you know like it's pretty and and tom tom initially did that it was really intriguing because it was the first time we'd seen anybody do that and there is a line in there that you can kind of tease out from a data science perspective if you've got the right kind of data but just using it with with old school counting stats is is not particularly relevant so yeah anywho it still remains it still remains tricky it still remains you know like I, I personally am about to, uh, you know, annoy millions of people right now, but like, I personally am, am unconvinced at like Virgil van Dijk's like current elite, uh, elitely rewarded status, because I, I wonder, I just wonder how much of that is, um, is related to skill and you know, ability specifically, and how much of it is related to just the way, you know, the, the kind of the way the team 
flowed nicely through last season. Uh, you know, he's being identified as an individual who has who has um, made a difference for Liverpool, and I think he probably has made some difference. But like how 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 large a difference he's made, and how that can change, and how uh, you know when we, when we come back at the end of this season, look back at Liverpool this season, and think like, oh, was you know Van Dijk not so effective this season? And you know, that, I think that's an interesting on, ongoing question, but it is challenging. You know, certainly to look at defense defenders and um, and evaluate them accurately. So it's in, it is interesting in itself when one one gets elevated so highly above, you know, even the attackers to be you know, given awards and things. Um, so yeah, but you're just also very contrarian. <laughs> I think I think Van Dyke's been outstanding, and I think the questions that people asked about him at Southampton, including Paul Riley, who who was like very on the fence. Um, yeah, I think they've almost completely been resolved. And I think that it's you have to take not only what's happening right now, but also performances in the Dutch national team uh, and and say that, you know, there's enough evidence there to be like, yeah, he's really damned impressive, in fact. Uh, it, it does help to be playing with some some very talented players, but, you know, you put him in the right role, and this is true for, you know, for many good players. You put him in the wrong role, and they, they, they end up very awkward. And that's you know, especially true for central defenders. But... Yeah, you know, Ver- Verge has like all the skills. Yeah, but it, I mean, it's interesting. You know, someone who's been divisive over time is Otamendi, who I think, like, in his first season under Guardiola, like, you know, when they had teeth in troubles, like I think Otamendi's a really good defender. I think you know he's he's pretty committed and pretty pretty active. Uh, but yeah. he got kind of got hung out to dry because they were playing so high up the pitch, and he was often the last man. And um, but all of those players did. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's the thing. So you know, when you talk about like how can we actually like put numbers on these things and and you know, kind of overcome uh, narratives that come out just because, you know, pe- people watch a game and see a player make a mistake or make it, you know, appear culpable and actually, you know, kind of put numbers on that. It still, it still remains quite challenging within football. And I think some, something that we've, uh, you know, we've talked about a lot in recent months and, you know, we look, we'll, we'll kind of like steer some of our analysis towards is like you're looking at how transitions work and, you know, the defence, you know, moving from defence into attack and vice versa and stuff. And, you know, there's still plenty of questions to answer within within um, within like football analytics and you know actually de- defining what's important on the pitch and yeah, long long way to go. You know, lots of lots of ideas. I feel like I talk about that a lot. Where basically, you know, I, I talk about the relative nature of how much we know right now, and I feel like you know we're pretty smart in terms of the rest of the world, and some other teams are too, Liverpool. But in absolute nature, there's so much that like we don't know, and Liverpool obviously are, you know, I think, quite far ahead of us as well like not not taking that on on our shoulders or anything um so this is a an interesting question that kind of i think is almost an offshoot of that which is uh it's not on our list but i saw someone ask i think mark uh mark this week mark thompson and it was uh who's more valuable pep guardiola or muhammad salah <laughs> right and I'm like, hmm, um, that's like a really good talking point. In fact, it's an entire show, right? If you do, if you throw this on Five Live, they're getting a 30 minute segment out of it. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. No, <laughs> old right. And moving on. Uh, so, also, which manager in the Premier League is going to get fired first, and who would you have to replace? I tell you what. I think it's going to be Javi Garcia, and I think Kike Sanchez Flores will replace him. <laughs> I just left that question in because uh, uh, someone someone asked it the other day, and then that happened. But I tell you what, interestingly enough, I looked up and down the table after this uh, because it's like, oh, okay, that's happened. So who's next? And you go up and down the table, and it's actually quite hard to find a manager that you could say like b- without results utterly cratering, which will kill any manager. It's quite hard to find an obvious candidate. Like for example, yeah. Norwich Norwich and Villa, two promoted pr- 
promoted sides with man, you know, managers that got them up. So you'd imagine they're probably safe unless it all falls apart. Uh, Wolves, you can't see, uh, can't see him getting sacked. Uh, Brighton, new manager this season. Uh, Bournemouth, Eddie ain't going nowhere. Uh, Newcastle, Steve Bruce, you'd presume they'd stick with him and, and unless it went completely badly, obviously. Hassan Hootle or Southampton, you think's fine. Um, uh, uh, my mind's come blank. Who's Burnley's manager? Dice. Dice. Yeah, going nowhere. The Warlock. Lamps ain't going nowhere. Uh, if, if Dice does go somewhere, there's going to be like actual bloodbath and sort of Carrie-esque, uh, you know, violent rituals, I think, in and around Burnley. Unexplainable. Uh, possibly happening in the woods, but, you know, that's, that's something I would be concerned about. So, you know, he ain't going anywhere. Chris Wilder's not going anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. Pox and Pox probably not going anywhere. Solskjaer, well, they could crater and he could go, I suppose. Pellegrini seems fine at um, West Ham. Marco Silva seems fine and their their results are okay at the moment. No, no, no. They're they're in crisis. They're, <laughs> they're like, they're, they're two, uh, sorry, they're two positions behind Crystal Palace. It's funny, isn't it? If this, if this is the media last year, like, Marco Silva's under threat because of their performance. It's so right funny. Now. Like, Palace started the season and, like, looking shaky and then, like, snuck two wins and it's like, oh, right. <laughs> Maybe there's not nothing to worry about right now. But we, we shall see. But yeah, Emery, uh, Roy Hodgson, uh, Brendan Rodgers, and then the top two. And it's like, none, out of all that whole list, that you, there's nothing that you, you know, like intrinsically kind of latch onto. And you think like, ooh, they're, you know, they're a bit, they're a bit risky. This, the, the shape of the league. I remember two, I think it was two seasons ago. Like everyone apart from the top six and the promoted teams fired their manager. I'd be surprised if that happened this season or anything close to it. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it feels like much more settled, and it also feels like the coaches are better, and the compensation is still hugely expensive. And changing mid-season also, you know, brings in risks, so you got to be pretty sure about it. Unless you're Watford, in which case, you know, you're always sure that you need to fire your manager. But all that said, like more managers will get sacked because they will. They always. Oh do. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're not saying no one's getting fired. Come on, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you just need more information. It's just it's it's hard hard to see from this distance, right? And what have we got next? Uh, Women's Super League started this past weekend. What plans do you have for this season uh, with the new FA broadcast player, this access to all teams? Will the scope of coverage expand? Well, yeah. I mean, we're, we're still collecting data on that, and it's still available on the... Um, you can download it and play with it and analyze it. And yeah, typically it's going to be about a 48-hour turnaround on the public side, um, sometimes midweek. Yeah, a few uh, people are asking are... about that, but we're committed to it. And, uh, you know, it will... It will well, not only are we committed to it, we're, we're piloting a number of teams. Uh, so we made an offer... And if, if you're an FAWSL team that does not use our stuff right now, please do get in touch. But we made an offer to all teams in the FAWSL that not only would we provide the free data, which we've been doing, but we would also give them access to StatsBombIQ and you could use it. Uh, and the, the data would be available as soon as like it's, it's processed by us and, and uploaded. So like that, that offer still exists. And, and you know, there are a number of teams that are using it, but it's still open to everybody. Like it doesn't matter what time of season. If you, if you know somebody that, you know, that works in women's football for one of the the FAWSL teams, like please do. Um, you know, next year we're going to expand more to cover even more women's leagues, but we have not had the ability to do that this year, just because we have started added things like Serbia and Croatia and Italy, Syria B, and more in South America and some other relevant place that I'm forgetting. One of the question, um, one of the questions that I left off was someone was asking, like, tell us about the good, good players in these in the, these leagues that you've you started collecting. And it was like, yeah, I'd love to. I haven't got around to that. Ah, Czech Republic. <laughs> so like Slavia, we we have Slavia data. Uh, yeah. If you're facing partisan Belgrade in uh, or uh, who's the Dinamo Zagreb? Like we have data from all these teams, and it's available. So you know, if you <laughs> if they happen to be your Europa League or, or Champions League opponents, like do get in touch. 
Uh, but yeah, so we've, we've been expanding so much, uh, which meant that we didn't quite have the capacity to add the extra women's leagues this year, but we are going to go out of our way to make that happen next year. Uh, so we'll go, uh, we'll add the, basically the biggest leagues in Europe and the women's champions league as well. Yeah, pretty good. Right. Next question. So there's, you know, lots of, lots to do there from, you know, for private and public, um, you know, public sense, you know, with the women's football data right some people refuse to believe that harry wilson is the best shot taker of all time and assume he'll regress to the mean how do you differentiate between short-term overperformance and long-term exceptional qualities particularly in a young player now reason I- first of all i knew you would choose this i would knew you would choose this <laughs> uh, and also like i'm just leaving you to answer this because <laughs> you're gonna have actual opinions and i don't really give a shit yeah no 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 well i just i just i just thought about this because it, it crossed my mind the other day and i actually had a look i, I put a like a little poll on twitter last night saying like who's who's the best uh, long-range shooter is it harry wilson or gareth bale right and two-thirds of respondents of like 900 respondents or something said gareth bale right now so gareth bale in his season at tottenham um we're just looking at league day here scored nine goals from outside the box like some of them were some of them were free kicks like two or three free kicks and the rest were outside the box absolutely insane season when he scored like 21 league goals and and just looked like unstoppable uh i think harry wilson last season scored six including two free kicks and he scored two already this season one free kick one from outside the box uh, I'm maybe misremembering. I can't remember if it's deflected. Anyway, it doesn't matter. He's, he's got he's got two. So there's definitely a deflection on one of those. Right. Yeah. And the free kick was excellent. So maybe it was the other one. Right. Anyway. So the point is, like Gareth Bale, widely regarded as an exceptional long range shooter. Anyway, Gareth Bale, six seasons in in Spain, just in the La Liga, uh, has scored nine times from outside the box. So this is an exceptional shoot from range. He scored nine times in one season, and then he scored nine times like in total since. So like Wilson, who's already scored twice a season, that's under two per to, per season for Bale, like in the league from outside the box on average. And then Wilson's already scored two this season. So even if you consider Wilson to be like a really high quality like long range shooter, is it realistic to expect him to score like more than like two, three maybe a season? Like, he might have a wild season, like last season, where he scored six, and everyone looks at him and thinks, like, oh, my God, this guy can shoot from range. But it's it's genuinely quite hard, even for a player, even for someone as good as Gareth Bale, to score regularly from outside the box. So that's my little kind Hang of on. story. But what's the flip side? You didn't answer the question. No, I didn't. You just gave them data. Yeah. Go on. What's the answer? <laughs> what's the answer? Uh, well, yeah, I, I just think he's not hes not going to score like that many goals, basically, from outside the box. And that's fine. And that still doesn't mean that he's like a bad shoot, uh, you know, a, a bad shoot from outside the box. He's been an extremely good shoot from outside the box. So, yeah, I mean, I think the, the answer from my perspective is you always want more data. Uh, if you've got training data, you want that as well. And you're kind of just trying to increase your sample size. So you look at what's happening Maybe if he's been playing as an international uh, or, you know, go back into video when he's played at different levels, uh, it feels like he's scoring enough and regularly enough that he is good from long range. It's still not something you want him to do all the time, but you're actually okay with that if you're facing like a deep block, which doesn't seem like something Bournemouth would see very often. But, um, you know, if, if, if you need somebody to be taking those slightly longer range shots because that's what the, the opposition is giving you and you can't get anything else, like, that's pretty reasonable. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, my, you know, my, my, my general point is, you know, less about whether, whether you should shoot, shoot or not, but the fact that, you know, when, if he does shoot from long range, if any player shoots from long range and they score, like, a glut of goals quickly, then, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that, like, this is the answer to your prayers. But I don't know, you know, it's, it, it, there are 
subtleties around like you know the should you or shouldn't you uh shoot from long range and you know as long as a player <laughs> i don't know you wouldn't want to like you know discourage someone who, who who feels like they uh they've got an aptitude towards this um certainly while they're while they're scoring you know if he goes like 50 shots and you know it doesn't even hit the target they'd maybe be like have a quiet word in his ear Right, now this is one for you, because I don't know much about this guy. Thoughts on Erling Braut Haaland's numbers in Salzburg this season? He scored 11 goals in seven games, and is this sustainable based on his underlying numbers? Yeah, uh, I don't think he's going to score one and a half goals a game, <laughs> but he might score one, and that's pretty ridiculous. So for those of you who haven't seen him, I think he became he first became notable to most people when he was playing in in a an under-X match for Norway and scored 12 goals. Oh, he's this guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. I remember that now. So he's, he's like the, the, the white-haired Hulk. And I, I, I think I said on Twitter, he's like the human embodiment of the truck stick. Yeah, yeah. So I, like a very rich man's Alexander Sorloth. Uh, but, you know, he's 19 years old and he's doing this. And he actually played for Solskjaer. So like, you know, would, <laughs> would United buy him? Oh yeah, like you could just see that deal happening in the very near future. They have a huge gap. They bring in one of the best young players in the world to potentially play for them if RB wants to sell. Now RB are, are powered by probably as much money as United overall, uh, but you know we'll we'll see on that. So you know obviously this is in the Austrian league. Austrian league is not amazing. Um, yeah, we don't want to overhype him, but every moment that we have seen says that this guy is worth the hype and. As a, I don't think he's going to score one and a half goals a game. Like he's not messy, but man, is he doing some really impressive things on the pitch for his age? I hope that he stays healthy because I really want to see his next five years. There's an interesting kind of side point to this uh, in relation to Salzburg. Like you know, Salzburg is strong in that league. You'd, you'd expect that they would have had strikers that would have been like pretty prolific over time. So it'd be in, it's interesting that you know if this guy can keep it up or you know not keep it up, but score like 20, 25, whatever, uh, thirty goals a season. Uh, it's, it feels to me that like there, there should have been more people that have, have come through that that system and like racked up racked up the goals. So it's interesting. They're so dominant, you know. They should win nearly all their games. I think. Yeah, well, I mean, their best players definitely go on to play for Champions League teams, uh, even if even if they're not Salzburg. Uh, but Salzburg, you know, they've had some very good coaches. Their style is pretty good. They definitely are like way overpowered for their league, uh, quite dominant. Uh, I think their wide forwards and a lot of their midfielders and and you know almost everywhere but center forward has gone on to impressive things. But often they kind of just slide over to Leipzig and and people, you know, they, they disappear from people's. Uh, you know, radars i hate to see that because it just yeah um but yes yeah, so, but the wide forwards you know Mane's one um oh god kevin Campbell was for a while uh, there are many others i as so what's happened to me over the years is i've not gone see now but we've watched so many players that it's hard for me to just immediately bring up uh older player names while we're on the pod so uh yeah that's uh, moving on <laughs> what do you consider to be the flaws of leeds united at the moment all right. I don't actually know the answer to this, but I thought it was, I thought this was an interest, interesting way, way to phrase things. Chance conversion? Question mark. I realise we're doing well, but we're not perfect, and I'm curious as this is what stands out to me. Now, I think this sums up the entire attitude of like Leeds fans forever for me. It's like you look like you're doing really well. You're a really good team. Your metrics are excellent. <laughs> and it's like, what are we do? What are the flaws? What's wrong with us? 
And it's like, come Look, on. Don't talk about John McKenzie like that. <laughs> it's like, come on, you're really good. You're really good. Don't worry about it. Uh, we were talking about this, uh, like, uh, Vielsa, actually, in the office yesterday. And, and Nico, Nikos was rather, rather forcefully making the point that, you know, his team's, his team's tail off as what appeared to happen to Leeds last season. And uh, I was kind of, like, responding with the fact that, like, I... I don't deny that results have tailed off at times in various uh, various jobs that he's had, but damn, you can't find it in the metrics. It's real annoying. <laughs> you certainly can't. And and also, yeah, I, I think that this... So I'm looking at the metrics right now. Uh, Leeds are technically, I think, in third mm. in the table. Yeah, yeah. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Swan- days, yeah. Swansea and Charlton are, are above them, but Charlton are directly above them in second, one point ahead. And... Charlton are about minus 10 in the shot differential, and Leeds are plus 10 in the yeah, shot differential. Charlton are legitimately having an insane run where they're converting everything, and the chances they're getting are really, really high. I mean, it's, it's a tiny sample. The, the, only thing that, the only way they move in that regard is back to the pack, but it's just, they're on some odd run. Not perfect, by the way, is the modus operandi of the English Championship, <laughs> uh, which is one of the reasons why it's very fun. If you like that, it's a bit like people who like college football and college basketball. They're like, oh, I, I enjoy the fact that you see like you know, uh, slight imperfections. It's not all as, as ridiculous as the NBA. Uh, but yeah, so uh, Leeds look unbelievable, and they will continue to look unbelievable. I think pretty much for the whole season, but maybe they'll you know slow down towards the end. Their their hope is that they need to build up like a ten point lead for when that happens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they got sucker punched by Swansea in that match, but I, I, you know they far far kind of dominated the play in that game by all accounts. Uh, so I, I just generally wouldn't wouldn't worry about uh, you know any, anything about it. You know, it's still not a great squad. He's still making that not a great squad into you know title contenders or promotion contenders. So. Don't worry I was it, never guys. as big a be- I was never as big a Bielsa believer as I have been these last two years. <laughs> he has done spectacular yeah. work with. Yeah, I mean, very much. You know, I, I can I can plead to some degree of ignorance uh, towards like you know his entire history. But yeah, you know, the fact that he sat there at Leeds, big club, gets a lot of news news around in this country. So you know, you can't avoid it. And it's like, yeah, this has been a really interesting story the way he's gone. Right. Are we judging Man United wrong? They probably know they are not no. winning the title. <laughs> no. They'll probably know they won't win the title till uh, 2022-23, it says here. So, Is Pep gone then? <laughs> so you should judge them on the team they're building for them. I'll say one thing. It feels like they are at least accepting the fact that like they are needing, they need to transition properly over a long period of time. I don't necessarily agree with the way they're doing it. I don't necessarily agree with their appointment of Solskjaer and you know the what the players they've signed. But it appears like when when they were signing Sanchez and things like that, it felt like they still had this kind of like kind of slightly deluded belief that it's like right if we get the best player in we can right now we can contend, and like this summer felt like a more of a move towards like right we need to <laughs> we need to like root and branch this. Uh, whether or not that's the case, I don't know. But like, it felt like a little bit of a nod in that direction. So, so, so you can't necessarily see the plan. But you do sense <laughs> no, no, no. that they might be thinking <laughs> something like that. Yeah, there might be like more, more of a kind of like realistic uh, expectation there. So you know, I, I still think we're, we're laughing mostly because we're not talking about Tottenham and Arsenal right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, don't worry about that. Tottenham's all three of their new signings are currently injured, but don't worry about that. <laughs> Same as it ever was. All right. So uh, we flip to the next one. So here's another question that we can't answer because we don't know. How does one get into the industry? 
Uh, what is the industry, by the way? Like, is, is it are we the industry? So yeah, so I'd like to work with data analysis, blind work, or to become a coaching comes some capacity. Well, I mean, all the, the traditional ways, like you know, do coaching badges, get into it that way. Uh, but we will say, um, you know, there, there's a specific example just this week. Um, the guys um, who started out, like you know, on Twitter, uh, a guy called uh, I think it's Tim Keach. Uh, called at stop punching and he teamed up with a few guys and they formed a little little organization and uh, they've got a, a gig at swansea so good you know good luck to them but this is a classic example of a uh, you know people who've got interested in like stats and numbers and um you know found a way into uh, found a way found some connections met some people got a route into a club and you know that's that's going to be the kind of thing that you know happens ever more so you know if you, if you want to work in football you know get your work out there you know <laughs> meet people go to the right events do, you know do all these things you know do do your stats work publish it Let's, publish it you know how else are people going to see it publish it yeah i mean it's, you know, i did a thing on twitter earlier this week just kind of like because international week i said like you know throw me throw me your articles from history you know the history of football analytics is dangerously close to forgetting like where it all came from and you followed up and put you know some of your kind of collected uh, you know, collected works of various people that you you compiled over the years and, and tweet that out. So do check our timelines if you, if you missed that. There's lots of good work there. And, you know, it's interesting to think about how many of the people that did do work at various points. Some of them drifted off, did other things, but plenty of them ended up working like within the industry, be it for data companies, be it for football clubs, be it for media organizations. Gambling. Yeah, I mean, yeah all, you know, it all kind of like feeds into itself. So, you know, you've, you've you know, if, you, if you're interested, get involved and, um, you know, you've got to start somewhere. That's the thing. It's easy to just sit there and think like, oh, well, how do I get into this? What do I do? Right, you got to do something. <laughs> you know, you got to get active and, you know, uh, make make moves, I guess, is the, the way you put it. I've kind of told the story about me where when... Um, so I started writing about football analytics basically the, the week that I had chemo. And I, I did it because... I realized that there was uh, player data available and team data in, in a way that we'd never had before. But um, at that time, I also like bought a guitar, and I was like, oh, you know, like maybe I'll take up some different hobbies. I've got to, I've got to unwrap myself a little bit from the work that I was doing at Pinnacle, and I just like enjoy life a little more, and definitely spend more time with my kids, which I've done. Uh, and and what's funny is like that guitar still exists <laughs> in my office, and it still sits there and stares at me because what became like, oh, I'll just poke around with this, became like an unbelievably passionate hobby yeah. and absorbed like all of the time that i used to spend on these other things uh including playing like magic the gathering and stuff like that and it's just like you know full on this is what i did and that became a job and that became a company and that became getting um invites around the world to go speak at, at conferences about the stuff that we do and the research and stuff like that and you know we've made pl plenty of mistakes over the years uh, i think that we're good we're not maybe there might be others that are better but it is a relative it's a competitive field, um, but somehow you have to get out there and you know get attention to your work and show people that you're competent and that you're good because there are a lot of people that that want to hop on this train. Uh, don't offer to work for us for free because like we don't do that. We actually pay all of our interns and things like that. But you know, do be aware that there are lots of, of potential 
jobs out there. And also that like the pay is going to be not great if, if you're working directly for a team most of the time. Now, that doesn't mean it's not great for Premier League teams. Like In a lot of cases, it's it's decent there. But everywhere else down the league, they're they're scrabbling for you know advantages and money and and who knows. So I often tell people, especially who have like really good data backgrounds, like make your money first. Uh, do this as a hobby. See what happens. But don't get locked into it because like, you know, your time and your life are, are too valuable and you don't really need that type of stress. Yeah. And also, I think something something worth noting is like, you know, really think about it if people want you to do stuff for free, because, you know, that's something that will come up like frequently or, you know, people will lowball you and offer you kind of like low low prices to kind of do things and you got to work out if that's right for you and you know often, just do this often it won't do this be. for free now yeah and then maybe you know it could come it could end up as a paid job like no fuck that like if you want the work like that's fine if if you don't like you have to give yourself other options don't get don't get funneled into this this uh this pathway that that doesn't give you any any real value for your stuff yeah no it's, it's a tricky balance and i, I think you need a passion for it as well it's 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 weird like you don't know where life will take you you know speaking as an old guy <laughs> you don't know where life will take you you don't know where your interests will take you know i think like you you and me both like you know got interested in football numbers and then realized we were just like incredibly interested in it and wrote millions of articles and then you know have ended up wherever we've ended up through various you know uh events and um yeah it, a lot of people kind of like want to be involved in this and like might write an article or like you know build a few charts and then you know a couple months later they don't and they've stopped doing it you really have to kind of like develop a passion and an interest and and follow it up and be consistent and keep doing things um and that's the only way you can really kind of like build the knowledge long term as well so yeah it's it's a funny one but there there's no fixed path (laughs) there really isn't and um what odds would you make Manchester City to go invincible if you put their current squad in the championship and over under on how many points they would drop? Well, they wouldn't lose a game, I don't think. I mean, it might. <laughs> I don't think they would. <laughs> so this is a probabilistic thing with the model, right? Go on, then. So the model is going to tell you that that they're they're like you know minus three to minus four in every match, right? <laughs> and, and you're like, the model is also going to tell you that there's a tale that says that you know maybe one in a hundred times they lose or maybe maybe even one in 50 times they lose and you're like you know it could happen inside of a season how many games do they not uh, win though because they're gonna be a couple i reckon they're gonna be a couple they don't win one one or nil nil or something i'm just saying that in the premier league like you know they're, they're pretty scant these results anyway what six games last season more yeah. than five before i can't remember so, <laughs> yeah maybe they do so i think the, i think the over under on points they drop is four <laughs> in 46 man that's crazy that is crazy but yeah it's probably true as well isn't it because they just I, mathematically you can prove me wrong on this yeah. and and i'm telling you that the we model the is going to have yeah. some some tail issues I, I've, I've worked in gambling models i have some ideas on this like the model is going to have some tail issues but i i think it's yeah so we'll say four and a half points is the over under of 46 matches the that they would drop that's my that's my call all right that's quite fun yeah if anyone if, any, if anyone wants to go out and do the maths and do do let us know if you, if you think of a different way of uh, framing it or if you get a different answer um who right i had to put this one in i have i have to ask this question on him <laughs> who wins in a movie trivia quiz james or Michael Owen. This is this is a disgrace, to be honest. 
This is <laughs> this is a disgrace that my reputation has suffered so so much that it's it's perceived that my knowledge of films is is equivalent or lesser than Michael Owen. I think famously has only ever watched what two films, three films, or something absurd like that. It might even be. I think it might have been updated to eleven. <laughs> but so I, let's give people a little more context around this. Did you get so angry that this weekend you not only watched a film but then you wrote about I it? I did. I wrote a review of. Uh, <laughs> I, I went to watch them on a tone uh, in Hollywood and then wrote a review about it. Because I thought I could do that. I can write reviews. It's, it's something to do. And, you know, I don't write so... You, you are a talented writer. No one... I, I'm not disputing that. I, are you a talented movie watcher is a slightly different I question. I don't write so many uh, so many things anymore. So occasionally you just want to flex your flex your writing skills. But anyway... But, yeah, it's... I've, I've watched loads of films over time. It's just I've watched less. I don't... I can't be asked with the kind of, like, modern... Uh, you know, cinema-friendly box office crap that there is. It's just not. It's just. I not think this thing. question becomes a lot more interesting if we replace Michael Owen with Alan Shearer. I wonder if he's watched a film ever. We'll, we'll have to dig into that if if uh, if readers know about this. Much like you know, Steve Bruce's uh, crime writing. Uh, you know, may, maybe Alan Shearer is a huge cinema buff. We'll have to find out. Okay, um, back to more interesting, less humorous things. And, and it's true. You have watched a lot more films uh, than Michael. I have. So is there the answer is, is all there a level of play? <laughs> Go on. I'm going to start over again. Is there a level of play below which advanced analytics are unusable or untrustworthy? Example, I'm a season ticket holder at Gainsborough Trinity in Tier 7. Is skill level insufficient to implement stat insights? Do some lessons not apply at that level? Well, I think there's there's insight to be gained from uh, football data at whatever level it's collected. And I think it's, um, I, yeah, there won't be, there won't be many like uh, tier seven matches collected, but if you went and collected it, like all of tier seven, like you could hundred percent like review, like data from games, review data on like, you know, a longer term basis. And you, and you could at the very least develop useful insights that you could funnel back into your, into your processes. And you'd probably gain quite an edge actually at that level, just by yeah. having that, not having there's that no, knowledge. There's no question. And we, you know, we teach coaches from uh, youth level on up to, you know, top tier professionals, champions league about the stuff that we do. And in some cases we give them entirely new information that causes them to change how they have their teams and they set up their teams to, to play football. Like this isn't an exaggeration. This is literally what we do. Uh, and I, I also get feedback from people coaching university teams or, um, or teams then uh, you know, like tier seven uh, about how they're playing and how they're coaching. I've helped some people uh, with their thesis for their UEFA Pro license uh, with regard to you know what the shot locations and expected goals and how that impacts training and stuff like that. And then finally, the, the one of the interesting ones is someone in Australia <clears throat> sent me a video recently about um, their set pieces. And that actually does have some things that fall apart a little bit at a lower skill level where your corner delivery if you don't have anybody who can deliver corners like pretty well, it becomes very problematic because if you can't get the ball in the right spot, then everything else you're doing is irrelevant. Uh, but so yeah, there are some lessons that don't apply, but there are an awful lot of lessons that do apply. And and again, this is competitive and relative. So you relative to the rest of your teams, are you much smarter? Can you play football in a better style? Can you get information out of the data that allows you to compete better against them? Then great. It's and it, it works. It's it's as simple yeah, as that. And, and even just understanding what is happening within my team, or you know, what is happening, you know, within our, our opponents' matches, you know, just by having like 
a check and a balance, which is like a data layer uh, to you know what you what you're analyzing. There's there's vast amounts of insights. You know, are these are these insights all going to help you win games? Some will, some won't. But you will certainly learn you know more about like what is actually happening on the pitch rather than you know just what you're getting from watching. So. I mean, you know, there's there's endless kind of like discussions about you know the difference between predictive analytics and and just descriptive uh, stats and you know, the, the tensions between these two things. And I don't know. I think you, you'd you'd be foolhardy to think that you can't get useful information out of both sides of it. So, well, it's a good lead into the final question we've got here, which is, if possible, can you give your thoughts on the analyst job posting in Spurs and what it says about their data process and analysis? There's heaps of information there, but it would be nice to see how it appears to a professional as I can't make sense of it. And and this is kind of fun because like we were literally talking about this question uh, you know, back and forth to, to grab some lunch one day and we're absolutely not making fun of it. I think it's it gives insight to what's going on. So James, if you want to lead this, cause I know that you had like some detailed. Well, yeah, someone, someone talked, someone talked about this and said it was, it was, you know, kind of like it was, it was hard to pass and it was a bit baffling and, you know, there was just so much information. And I thought, yeah, there was a lot of information in, in, in the, the, the job uh, thing. I looked through it this morning actually, and it's not, uh, it's not up anymore. I think it's expired, but it was basically a kind of post game analyst job at Tottenham. And there it was a long list of of things of tasks uh, that you know you would you would need to do to to perform this role. And Tom Lawrence, our technical uh, you know tech guy, you would uh, uh, tweeted out like you know semi comedically, but I think with a degree of seriousness that a lot of this was automatable. Uh, so I don't know whoever gets the role will decide to automate it. But it felt it felt like these were a lot of tasks. It felt like someone had at, at some point joined Tottenham as like you know uh, obviously a post game analyst or whatever, and then over time a variety of uh, tasks had been kind of designated towards them and like oh by the way can you do this oh can you do this like one of one of the things was um complete a premier league roundup post each game week that's i can do that <laughs> but, you, you literally do do that not, for yeah yeah i mean that's, i've done i've done this over the years it's, it's like to take one box <laughs> no anyway but i, I guess it's not a job i'm interested in but uh, and then there's you know a variety of uh just just tasks and it felt like it felt like it was just a kind of like um, kind of like aggregation of tasks that are built up over time, and then obviously someone's left this this post and it's been advertised, and they've listed all the things that this person presumably did, and want someone to come in and do the same things. And it, about when you think about process, um, it feels like that's something that's kind of like grown organically within the club, and probably over the time that Mauricio Pochettino's been there, um, and we know that uh, Jesus Perez, who's his assistant, is very interested in you know all kind of like. Uh, you know, sports science things and data things. I know he follows a variety of people on uh, Twitter and stuff, and you know, he's, he's certainly interested in in the, the bigger picture. But it it kind of shows how how uh, like data related roles within football clubs can can build uh, almost kind of like you know without a, a kind of master plan of like what you're doing. Uh, Absolutely, it's it's like so natural to think about how this would happen. Like, oh, yeah, okay, can you do that? And and we, we like this. And, hey, I saw that on the internet. Can you recreate that? Because I thought it might give us some insight. I know for a fact that happens. I know that happens on a lot of different clubs. They're like, oh, yeah, I, I saw that thing in, in this report. I'd really like to, to have something similar to it. And they're like, oh, well, we don't have Statsbomb or we don't have this or we don't have that. But, you know, I'll try. And, and it just kind of accumulates this natural almost uh, data beast 
that you, you've got a lot of jobs that you need to do. But if you don't take the top-down approach, then you don't know that a lot of this stuff is automatable or already done in, in some cases that you can just grab it and, and run with it and, and produce it. And and also like you don't know that you could be doing like you know more valuable ways to go about this after the automation. So it's, it's kind of an, an of interesting way to see, and I suspect it happens at so many clubs, where this type of role exists and this is the one that they want to be replaced they don't want someone who like sees it from top down approaches and and to be totally fair to them i think manchester united just hired the top down type person right, yeah uh in in that role he's like you know data operations coordinator or something like that you're like okay that and 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 the role that at least as i read it i think on training ground guru like is much more about figuring out how data needs to to interact across the club, across like even the academy, but definitely up through uh, first team and recruitment and stuff like that. And and you know having uh, it feels like we hit on this point a lot, but having a plan and having people that understand this stuff is is pretty valuable to you. Uh, you know we we don't even offer that as like a consultancy. Like we we often offer people that we think are good at it or might fit those roles uh, if we get asked. But it's a. Uh, it, it certainly just it helps cut down on the waste, and I think that that's a, a big thing. Like so many times, these organic jobs are, are a lot of waste uh, and and don't need to be something done by humans. Humans can do the smart bits, but that's in, until you know that that can be done and how to automate it and how to how to produce these better things. You you don't know that that's an option for you. Well, that's the thing. You know, my presumption here is that like someone who with relatively um, you know not to criticize whoever's been in this role at all, but someone with like relatively you know minor skills with data and um you know has, has has been in this role and uh you know there's other ways of doing it like another good example is Madden Sormas who's gone in at uh, Leicester and just do, you know the head of analytics there and you know he's a guy we know well he, he wrote for the site over the time and has been, has been around you know this scene for a good few years and a talented smart guy and that's the thing they obviously they, you know decided there's a role that they feel is senior enough within that organization that they can actually give give um you know to com- communicate at a kind of like i guess an executive level and that's the, that's the thing as well like you know it depends what your organizational structure is um you know not every football club will be comfortable with giving uh you know giving a data person or someone to come in this new role and giving the, giving them the kind of like level of interaction that you'd require like you know kind of like directly in at like first team you know head coach level um, they might prefer them to be like, you know, with the, the analysts, uh, you know, so to, so to speak and think that, you know, that's, that's the way of doing it. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's something, that's something to overcome, I guess, uh, from a, you know, job, job listing perspective. Uh, I will, I will note too, because if we do get, uh, I quite frequently people ask me like, you know, what are Tottenham doing? What are they, you know, are they, are they linked to anyone? And it does say one of the job specs here is work with data provided by 21st club. So you know, little nod there to uh, an organization that's been around for quite some time. Uh, so that wraps up the, the listener-powered questions part. Uh, we've got just a little more to handle. Uh, so what happens one month from today, James? What happens one month? Is it one month from today? Oh, my God. It must be the Stats One conference. And if Tom Lawrence is listening to this, he's breaking it because he knows that he's got a small talk he's got to get put out. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Stats One conference at Stanford Bridge. Tickets are still available. Uh, please do come see us. There's also a course uh, the day before yep. at uh, Leighton Orient's uh, stadium, which is kind of a cool venue. That's, yeah, that, and, let's uh, just, like, just make a point. That's the only one that we've got scheduled right now. So there might never be another one. 
there might, probably will be, but there might never be another one. <laughs> and it's the only one in escape we've got scheduled right now. It's in London and it's this year. So like, you know, if you've been thinking about coming to one of the courses, then this is- I think in 2020, we might start to take a bit of a European tour. <laughs> I, I, I get that sense. I, I don't know. You, I, you I know threatened to send me to- coldest darkest america in the new year so uh i still am actually i'm just letting you get through in fact we, we should probably have a meeting about that uh, anyway uh, so uh anyway we'll we'll get a schedule out of of the running order next week um i'm looking at some of the talk titles and i'm, I'm entertained not least by lukas sapansky's how to shoot and how to save football analytics for dads and on that note thank you very much for listening uh we'll catch you next week when there will be more football to talk about okay thanks very much